like to draw your attention to just one very, very, very brief passage uh, that I want to lift up on, on this day as we uh, have this Selma remix uh, to look at the 68th Psalm, verse 31. I want to read from two different translations, uh, one being the NIV and the other being the OM3 translation. Uh, that's the oldest, smallest, third translation. That'll, that'll be out next year, edited uh, by President Bolton. Um, and uh, uh, beginning with uh, verse 31, just verse 31, uh, two different translations I will read. Actually, three. There's a third translation I think uh, would be important in our hearing. The NIV reads this way, envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself to God. Another translation, as Marcus Garvey put it, he said, princes will come from Africa, and Africa will submit herself to God. And another translation is simply, princes will come from Egypt, and Ethiopia will submit herself before our God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of God's holy word. I'd like to place a tag upon this text for it constitutes context of which we attempt to teach and to preach at this moment. I'd like for us to focus on the subject of do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? If you could turn to your neighbor at this time, just look at your neighbor. Don't look at me. I'm in a different neighborhood. Uh, look at your neighbor. You got, man, look at your neighbor. You're looking at me, brother. Amen. There you go. <laughs> look at your neighbor. Find a neighbor. Smile at your neighbor. Don't, they're trying to act like they're taking notes. There are no notes to take there right now, okay? They're trying to look all deep right now. Just look at your neighbor. There you go. Smile at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Do you know, Do you know? Who, you who you are? Amen. Amen. Now find another neighbor, maybe the same one, maybe the same one. Don't be nervous. Don't get nervous. Look at your neighbor. If they don't want to look at you, tap them on the shoulder. Ivan, there you go. There you go. <laughs> look at your neighbor, smile at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. oh neighbor, oh, neighbor. I, am I am a child, a child of, God. of God. Amen. Amen. Uh, do you know who you are? We've been lied to. The story we were told and have been told is, is a lie. Uh, it is false. It is untrue. We uh, have been raised in a culture, in an atmosphere that states people of African descent have no history and have no value. Uh, this lie, this lie that has been told, has been told uh, through the institutions known as schools, churches, mosques, temples, colleges, universities, yes, and seminaries. Uh, they joined in the lie, and the lie was perpetuated by black and white educators, professors, leaders, politicians. Uh, it is so deep. It now rests in our imagination as a truth, no, not knowing that it was solely a socially constructed reality. Uh, that the Maafa, the transatlantic slave trade, in many ways shaped our very existence in terms of uh, recognizing or seeing ourselves as being non-existent. Uh, I had an ex uh, a conversation with a particular member, a member of Trinity, Trinity, that we say that we are unashamedly 
unapologetically black and unapologetically Christian. Uh, this member, this sister has said that, you know, I don't like hearing about our history because it makes me angry every time. I, I don't want to deal uh, with that history. I don't want my children to grow up angry and mad. I, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to go to see any of these movies. I don't want to be a part of any of these classes. And it just blew my mind to hear of this person say this. And what was interesting is when this individual said this, the same week Ivan had the opportunity to gather with a group of ecumenical ministers. And one of my friends, Rabbi Pupko, uh, leaned over to me and said a very interesting comment. He said, Otis, you know that it is considered uh, in the Jewish tradition an act of child abuse not to teach your children their history. Mm. Uh, the lie was designed to cripple our sense of self in order to subjugate uh, a group of people for profit. And the real damage of this Holocaust moment, this transatlantic moment, this break with our connection is that we were able to leave the plantation, but many of us still have a plantation mentality, uh, a negative view of who we are, and not just people of color, uh, but this has affected all people who are in America and have had to deal with the original sin of America known as racism. I was having a conversation with my son not too long ago, and he, he raised uh, the question to me. He said, how come, how come uh, it is, it is that, that, that people of color, people who look like me are the ones, they're the ones that do all of the drugs and the crimes in America, and I was ready for him. I've been educating my son. I said, let me break out the FBI statistics to let you know that we are not the ones that are doing drugs. We are not the ones. We may have be arrested and convicted, but we are not doing all of the drugs. And so I laid everything out to him, but then my son said something that rocked my soul. He said, I see what you're saying, Dad, but why is it that the images that I see, that everybody looks like me? That he was struggling with the fact uh, that when he looked at the images, all of those images looked at him and it forced me to begin to think, how did we end up in this particular position? And then I realized, uh, uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Thomas, that we ended up in this position because America has presented a false anthropology. A false anthropology, the way that we look at our humanity, viewing one group of people as human and another group as subhuman. And whenever you have a false anthropology you are somehow you are removed from the human family and when you have a false anthropology it ends up creating a schizophrenic psychology in your spirit a schizophrenic psychology means that I reject who I am but at the same time I am rejected by the sit as a citizen in my own country so I end up with a schizophrenic psychology and as a result of a schizophrenic psychology because I do not have any power in this particular situation so then I I find somebody who looks like me. I do violence against that individual because of my false anthropology leads to a schizophrenic, a schizophrenic psychology because our churches have a demented theology. Mm. And a demented theology is unable to deal with the break of the schizophrenic psychology and the false anthropology. And the demented theology says that even in God's economy, you are a Johnny-come-lately. Uh, that you are a convert. Uh, you are not a part 
of the Christian narrative. You are not a part of the Hebraic narrative. But then when you turn to Psalm 68 and verse 31, it says princes shall come out of Egypt and Ethiopia shall stretch out her hands. But one must look at this a little bit deeper to understand why is it mentioned there? Why not Babylon? Why not Assyria? Why not Greece? Why not Rome? Why not any other country? Because according to Charles Kofer and Cain Hope Felder, that if you look at the word of Egypt and Ethiopia, it occurs more times in the Bible than any other particular nation, not because it is negative, but because it was viewed in antiquity as a great source of learning and power and was venerated among the Hebraic people. And so the text is speaking to the fact that black lives matter. Uh, the text is actually saying and speaking uh, that Africa, that Egypt, that Ethiopia are a part of God's economy. But the challenge of this psalm of orientation, according to Walter Brueggemann, is that even though you may hear that we are a part of the story, the image that we have in our mind contradicts the truth that is written in the Bible. So when you think of Moses, you think of an NRA activist by the name of Charles Heston. And that image comes into our mind and we do not see someone of color as being a part of the story. Even though in the ancient world, Egypt, Ethiopia, Carthage, Aksum, Hippo, Alexandria, Cush, Nubia, or Kemet was all a part of the ancient story. Even though Herodotus said that if you want to go to school, you got to go to a historically black college down south, better known as Africa, the University of Karnak. Even though we have a perception that when we speak about Egypt, it is somehow not in Africa because we're not talking about sub-Sahara Africa because we want to separate those who are a particular uh, narrative and color from those of northern portion of Africa. But it's interesting that no other particular continent uses that type of terminology trying to separate people from the continent. We do not use it in America and you do not use it in Europe. But when it comes to Africa, that's sub-Sahara Africa. But let me break it down so you understand we're not talking about Arab Africa. That does not occur until 639. In other words, 639, 639 years after we are talking about the biblical period, we are talking about people of African descent. And when you begin to bring people of African descent into the story, it forces you to look at the Bible completely differently. But even the methodology that we call exegesis has some roots in Africa. Because when we begin to talk about the Septuagint, that word 70, that translation into Greece, uh, but you must know that it was translated for African Jews in Alexandria. But we are always arguing, were they black, black, or were they black? No, 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 they were African, end of story. So let's stop arguing about that and begin to move people into the human family and into God's story. Ah, but once we understand this, something happens, something happens. Ah, you see that when you know, when you know you are willing to take apart this false anthropology and destroy uh, this uh, psychotic, yes, in many ways psychotic uh, psychology, this schizophrenic psychology and this demented theology, the only way you can do that is to be unashamed of who you are culturally. Hmm. 
uh, to recognize that uh, we have a rich heritage, values and tradition. But when we talk about culture, we are not talking about color because race is socially constructed. Somebody made it up. Somebody said one person is over here, another group is over here, but when you speak about culture, you are talking about heritage and history. You are talking about your story. To be unashamed about your story, to feel no shame about your story, and tell your story without any shame. But unfortunately, in the postmodern era, we, we have confused, Dr. Thomas, we have confused this idea of what culture really is because we have even confused that which is black culture uh, and that which is ghetto culture. Because I'm here to let you know ghetto culture is not black culture. That ghetto culture is that which was constructed as a result of capitalism in order to keep a certain group in a position to profit over them. Ghetto, which comes out of that German idea of ghetto keeping people separate. But when you begin to talk about black culture, I'm talking about the spirituals. I'm talking about jazz. I'm talking about the blues. I'm talking about utilizing a pentatonic scale in order to play my music so that my music speaks to you in a different way. That's what I'm talking about when I share my story. Let me break it down so you understand what I'm trying to say. America's most beloved hymn is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, but really it's an Africanized hymn. In other words, it's a hymn that is creolized as a result of its contact with African people. You're still looking at me peculiar, so let me break it down so you understand what I'm trying to say. It is John Newton who wrote the words to Amazing Grace. He was a peddler in human flesh, better known as the slave trade. But they say that they don't know where the melody came from. But I'm here to let you know where the melody came from. The words came from Newton, but the melody came from the bow of the ship. And they say that it was from the bow of the ship that a melody came that created Amazing Grace. And Amazing Grace is the only hymn that you have to play with black keys. In other words, if you don't have the black keys, you have grace, but it's not amazing. You've got to have the black and white keys to play together. You've got to be unashamed about yourself culturally. When you are unashamed about yourself culturally, uh, something will happen. There are some, there are some that will say to me, Deacon Brenda, they will say, Moss, you stop talking about all this. Stop talking about this black stuff. Stop talking about all this African. I mean, we can all get along. We're all one. Don't say it no more. I said, you're right. I don't need to say it anymore. But I will stop saying it uh, when black girls stop bleaching their skin. I'll, I'll stop saying it when black boys stop filling up every jail. I'll stop saying it when we have some equality and equity and we recognize that each person brings a unique cultural narrative that I do not have to push aside who I am to worship with you, to walk with you, that we are all God's children and I am a child of God. Unashamed unashamed about who we are culturally but one must also not only be unashamed of who you are culturally but must be unashamed uh, must be unapologetic about who we are biblically some say wait a minute wait a minute you know this 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 race stuff is not in the Bible you're right it isn't uh, but if we look with a keener eye one will understand uh, that people of color are filling up this book called the Bible uh, matter of fact if you want to deal with Eden uh, you got to move down to Genesis 
deal with the Tigris and Euphrates. But remember, there's four rivers. Uh, there's two more rivers. And those rivers aren't in the north, they're in the south, better known as the Blue Nile, the Pashan, uh, those rivers that go through Ethiopia. Uh, so in other words, that when you talk about the birth of humanity, everybody's African. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so you find that that is within the narrative, but don't just stop there. Uh, move on down to Numbers chapter 12, uh, that when Moses decided to find a wife, he cast his gaze south and found an Ethiopian sister. And Miriam and Aaron were upset that he married an Ethiopian, but because of our American narrative of looking at race, we think it was because of race, had nothing to do with race. According to Cain Hope Felder, the reason Marion and Aaron were upset is because Moses made the decision to marry someone of a higher social standing because they viewed people of Ethiopian descent as people who came out of a different class narrative. Oh, you still don't believe it? Well, you're in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? We're in the New Testament too. As a matter of fact, when you see Mary and Joseph trying to hide from Herod, instead of hiding, they don't go to Athens. Trying to hide, they don't go to Rome. They said, we got to hide down in Africa because we got to hide around people who look just like us. So we got to hide around some people to protect the baby for a while. Ah, you still don't believe me. Well, move on over to Acts uh, chapter 8. You'll see uh, an Ethiopian secretary of state called a eunuch uh, who was working for a sister who ran a nation by the name of Queen Candace. And he was reading Isaiah, reading Hebrew on his way to the temple to worship, meaning he was already a Hebrew. But he bumps into Philip and Philip says, do you want to be baptized? He is baptized and takes back the message of Jesus to Ethiopia. And today we still got the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. We are part of the narrative and we must be unapologetic about the fact that we are part of this story. But once you are unashamed and once you are unapologetic, the final thing is you've got to be unafraid. You've got to be unafraid because uh, you need to be unafraid about who you are and whose you are. Uh, that you need to know that you are a child of God. That you are a child of the King. Uh, that you've got a connection and that you are part of a story. And you must understand the scandal of particularity of God. That God comes in a particular person, in a particular place, but the particularity is also universal. And the universal uh, is also particular. You completely missed it. There's always somebody saying it's got to be universal, but you got to start local before you go global. And so Jesus says, I'm going to be local, but I'm a global savior simultaneously. And it's amazing that everybody else can be excited about their history and their heritage. I went to worship at Old St. Pat's Catholic Church, and they were unashamed about being Irish and unapologetic about being Catholic. I was at the Greek Orthodox Church. They were unashamed about being Greek, and they were unashamed about being Christian. But when it comes to a black church, they want you to be universal. I'm here to let you know that if we are who we are supposed to be, we can teach the world to play a new song, sing a new song, dance a new dance when you know you're a child of God. Well, I've got to roll on out of here, but is there anybody up in here? Do you know you're a child of the King? You're a child of the Most High God. I've got to go, but you're a child of God. Do you